scripture reading this morning comes from Daniel chapter 3. That's page 878 in your Black Pew Bible. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the, the satraps, the uh, prefects, and all the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you're to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought so that so they, um, they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, It is true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up. Now, if you are ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, bagpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you, do, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. 
because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servant, servants who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I'll share this story. I can share this today. Carly's not here. She's in Tupelo. She's at a friend's, uh, at a friend's and going to the church with her. And so the kids, you know, being preacher's kids, it's kind of a balance, you know, because you, you, you want to share about your life, but, I mean, your life is, you have four kids, your life is a lot about your kids, right? So it's kind of hard to share sometimes because I'm like, well, I'd like to share that story, but now that might embarrass them or they get aggravated with you because you share it. And then I try to share a story about Jenny, and she really gets aggravated, right? So it's like, you know, um, so she's not here, so it's uh, her fault because she's not here, right? Um, but Carly, when she was little, she's always had this really uh, curly hair, and she always had long hair. We're kind of long hair people right now, and um, uh, she, she always had long curly hair. And we were home on stateside. And we were staying with mom and dad, and they have a, a sunroom, and it has a, a gas logs. And, you know, I don't know. I can't remember how old she was. Um, I don't even know. I can't even remember. But she was about yay big, right? And so she's standing up next to that gas logs, you know, warming herself. And we're out there just talking and whatnot. And, and all of a sudden, I started smelling this really funky smell. And all of a sudden, I see this, like, steam looking stuff coming up from behind her. and I was like I yelled at her I was like get away from the fire and I went, went over there and I was patting her hair like that and I, when I was patting her hair just chunks of it was falling out right so that heat you know from the gas stuff that had gotten a hold of her hair and so there was just you know chunks of it coming out and so we're kind of freaking out there for just a second and so of course I called Pooh and and we made her our way to her salon, and um, she said, "Don't touch it, just come on." And so we we, we went up there, and um, she, you know, clipped a little here, a little there, and it came out looking okay. And, and Pooh said that the reason it worked out is because she had curly hair. 
So if she had straight hair, she would have this kind of haircut after that, you know. And so we were really thankful uh, for that. But I was thinking about that smell as I thought, and I read about read through our text this morning, Daniel chapter 3. And, and we're going to study about Daniel's three Hebrew friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they get thrown into a fiery furnace. But not only were they not burned up, they, di- they didn't die, but they were protected even from the smell of smoke. All because God is almighty, God is powerful, and God is good. Well, if you remember, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had been taken to Babylon during the first deportation. I'll just get our bearings here. Remember, Judah's being exiled by the Babylonians because of their sin, because of their rebellion. If you remember, in 722 B.C., the northern kingdom called Israel, they were exiled to Assyria because of their sin. Assyria is the world superpower. They take them kicking and screaming, and they assimilated them into all the Assyrian um, communities, and, and they're called the lost tribes of, of Israel. Getting closer to 586, eventually at 586, all the, the southern kingdom will be exiled. Only left, only ones left in Jerusalem will be the poor and the, the destitute. But there were three deportations, three gatherings of, of Israelites taken back to, to Babylon, and Daniel and his friends were in the first group. And so they're, they're in Babylon, and what God is doing is revealing himself to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he's making himself known to the Babylonians as well. If you remember in the chapter 1, Daniel and his three friends had found favor in the eyes of the pagan authorities there. They ate what's called the Daniel diet for 10 days, remember? They didn't want to eat the unkosher food, and so they ate vegetables and water. And after 10 days, the Lord filled them out. They looked stronger. They were fatter. They were healthier than all the other candidates. But we also see in chapter 2, God began to reveal himself to King Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember, the king can't sleep because of a dream God had given him. He wants to know the meaning of the dream, and so he calls his wise man to him so they can not only interpret the dream, but firstly, they have to tell him what the dream was. His not-so-wise wise men say to Nebuchadnezzar about that dream, only a god could do that. No, one, no king has ever asked their wise man to do such a thing. But God did such a thing. The God of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego revealed not only the meaning of the dream, but the dream itself. God revealed it to Daniel. And as a result, all the wise men of Babylon who were going to be put to death were saved, including these four Hebrews. And the interpretation of the dream is part of the the theme of the book. Do you remember the dream? There's an image and its head is made of gold, and the chest and the arms are made of silver, and the, the waist and the thighs are made of bronze, and the legs of iron and the feet are made of a mix of iron and clay. And the interpretation, right, given by God was these all represent kingdoms of the world. And kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but this rock that crushed the image is the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is going to last forever and forever and forever and forever.
Now here in chapter 3, we see King Nebuchadnezzar, that dream, he, he seemed to embrace the dream, if you remember in chapter 2, and he gave, he was in awe of the God of Daniel, right? And he, in a sense, he accepted the dream, and he hadn't forgotten it because this image in chapter 3 looks, looks familiar. If you remember in the divinely real image, the, there's this one image made of many parts, many materials. But here in this image, the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had erected was made of all gold. Probably wasn't solid gold. Probably was um, probably was covered in gold, right? Gold plated, if you will. And what is Nebuchadnezzar doing here? I think James Montgomery Boyce, he says it um, this way. I think it's, it's, I agree with him. He says, right on the heels of chapter two, it seems like Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he seemed like he was accepting of this dream. Oh, all these kingdoms, they come and go, but the, the kingdom of God is going to last forever. But maybe it seems like he's thumbing his nose at the, at, at the Lord. He says, I will not allow the God of Daniel to set my kingdom aside, my rule will endure. And so what we see is this great image. And we've got a picture of um, this is the, this carved image, just Christ the Redeemer. It's in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And uh, you'll see that. And you see the people at the bottom. Now that base is really high. But if you see that, that statue there, it's 98 feet tall. And the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up was 90 feet tall. So you take the base out and, you know, it's, it's about that size, a little smaller. But he had this enormous image that's erected here on this plane. And you see Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they're all called to come and bow down to this thing. And you see this pressure, and that's the first point we see from our text. Pressures are going to come, verse 1 through 18. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he knew about the God of Israel, but he only knew him as one of many gods. They're pantheists. They, they worship many gods. But it's interesting, the wise men, they had them bring, uh, brought to the plain and there to bow down before it. That seemed like that's probably a wise thing to do. You're the king. You have the wise men, the noblemen, the best of the best in the land bow down to the image. What's everybody else going to do? They're going to follow suit. So this ultimatum's given. They must all bow down and worship this idol when they, these instruments are played. I think the instruments somewhat make sense. I think there's one there that I, I looked up. I didn't know the, the trigon. It's a tri means three, right? It's a, it's a triangular-shaped harp of some sort. I think the rest of them maybe make sense. But when these instruments are played, they're to bow down and worship this image. Now, the Babylonians don't have any problem with that because they're, you know, they're, they're this God, this image will be one of the many in their pantheon. But for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is a command they couldn't obey. And then what happens? They don't bow down to the image. And then what does the Babylonian wise men do? They, well, they, they're, they're jealous already. And we understand why, don't we? They're jealous of these Hebrew wise men. I mean, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they kind of jumped the line, hadn't they? 
they had moved ahead of them on the corporate ladder. If you recall, they were chapter one after the Daniel diet. They were ten times better in everything than all their national colleagues. Now think about that. Do you think that was only recorded here in Scripture? I think most likely not. I think all of those cats probably heard that a lot, and they might might have gotten tired of hearing. I mean, think about King Nebuchadnezzar. What's wrong with you guys? Bring the Hebrews from from Judah, and they're ten times better as you than everything. I'm sure they heard that a lot. And when King Nebuchadnezzar needed his dream interpreted, who was there to do it? It was Daniel. Gave not only the dream, but the interpretation. And what happens? They're given another promotion in chapter 2, verse 48 and 49. So you can understand why these men would be jealous. But at the same time, it's kind of interesting because Daniel's the one who saved their lives. Coleman Luck, he says, ingratitude is a sad attribute of the fallen human race. Look at verse 12. So that these guys seeing their opportunity to make the Hebrews look bad, they took it. Notice how they phrase their remarks. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. So they bring these remarks to King Nebuchadnezzar and do so in order to, to work Nebuchadnezzar into a, the greatest possible agitation. And it worked, didn't it? Yeah, he gets upset. To say he's furious is an understatement, but it's interesting. He didn't give the word. What was the, what was the threat? If you don't bow down, you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. But notice it's interesting that he didn't immediately give, give order and give word for them to be thrown into the fiery furnace. But what did he do? He had them brought before him, and he gave them another chance. And he pretty much said, hey, we'll, we'll let that bygones be bygones. If you, the next time the music plays, you bow down, we'll forget all the, the past stuff. I mean, after all, he had promoted them to a high position in the government. He helped them. The, these men had helped King Nebuchadnezzar in many ways, I'm sure. But they're given this ultimatum. You think about being in this position. They could have bowed down, I suppose. I'm not sure a lot of people would have blamed them. In fact, who would have known? I'll give in this one time. It's it's for the greater good. If I'm dead, I can't do I can't do our people or the Lord any good, right? You have to pick your battles. So I'm just being wise. I'm just going to bow down this one time. But they didn't do that. Of course, they had made up their minds. Remember chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Well, that was these three men. They had made up their mind, Reese. They had, they had determined in their minds to obey the Lord. They made up their minds to, to please God and him alone. And they didn't even have to think about it, did they? They didn't have to pray about it. It's, it's interesting, even Martin Luther, the great reformer, he was on trial and he asked for a night to pray and think about how he was going to respond when he was told that he had to recant all that he had said and all that he had written. But these men, they didn't have to pray about it. They knew commandment number one. What's commandment number one? You remember? One God, right? One God. Commandment number two, you don't carve any idols. So, it was easy for him in some degree. Easy decision. Not so easy consequences, maybe. And so they answered King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 16. I don't think they were being obstinate. I don't think they were being disrespectful. 
I think, you know, that's not, that's not the attitude they've had up to this point. But they addressed him, O king, in a respectful way. And in fact, Nebuchadnezzar had been an authority and they had submitted to him in every way that they could. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. They, they were commanded to live lives that bless the Babylonians. They knew God's law and, and God wanted them to worship him alone. And they made it clear to Nebuchadnezzar that while he does hold a position of authority, their, their ultimate authority is the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar, you're not my ultimate authority. You're an authority in my life, but you're not the ultimate authority in our lives. And we have authorities like that too, don't we? We have a lot of authorities. We're all under authority. We are all under authority. Sometimes these kids, it kind of, it's kind of comical. I can't wait to get out of the house, make my own decision, do my own thing. You're under authority wherever you go, right? And as Christians, we're under authority of the Almighty God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're good examples for us, aren't they? They teach us 2,600 years after this event about submitting to the authorities in our lives. Nebuchadnezzar was an authority, but God is the ultimate authority. And you think about it at the root level, I guess all sin is an issue of authority, isn't it? Who's your authority? Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to obey? Who are you going to please? We struggle with that sometimes, don't we? But these three men are good examples for them, for us. They want to honor King Nebuchadnezzar, but they want to honor the Lord more. And it emboldened them. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus says, don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Or the apostles, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter, the apostles, they had been in prison and told not to speak of this way, speaking of the way of Christ again. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. See, these three men, they knew that deliverance would come in this life or maybe in the one to come. In fact, Luke chapter 21, verse 16 through 18, Jesus says to his disciples, You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. But you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. Isn't that interesting? He says, Some of you, you'll be put to death for your faith. But then again, in the next statement, not a hair of your head will perish. Kind of interesting. Tension there, isn't it? See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they understood that deliverance would certainly come, even if they lost their lives for this, for this act of disobedience to Nebuchadnezzar. See, think about what faith is. Faith isn't believing God will deliver you now. It's believing God can deliver you. Then those of us who have faith, we have to leave the decision of whether God will or not to him and to him alone. There are some believers who were martyred this week. They died for their faith. They didn't renounce their faith. They were faithful 
like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they lost their lives. So whether we understand that as their lives were cut short or whether they lived to, to die of a, an old age, you know, old age decades, decades later, the ultimate outcome is the same. They're going to be delivered one way or the other. Some aren't delivered in the way we'd like. Think about these men. This story kind of has a happy ending. Hebrews chapter 11. This is the hall of faith, the faith chapter we, we all love. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. You see this deliverance, don't you? Sometimes people are faithful to the Lord, and the Lord just delivers them. Rescues them, delivers them. They're freed from death, the threat of death. But if we continue to read on, some weren't delivered. Hebrews chapter 11. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. How would you like to go out like that? They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Notice verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. It's interesting that men and women who by faith believed in God's care, even though they were not delivered, it says the world doesn't deserve them. Steve Ayers, he pastor, shares this story I think is helpful here. He tells of a, a chaplain that was ministering during World War II. He was uh, British and his name was Stoddard Kennedy. He was often thrust to the front lines during a battle where he would minister to the troops there. One day, while he and his armies was moving through France, he wrote this letter to his 10-year-old son, and he, he wrote this, The first prayer I want my son to learn to say for me is not, God, keep Daddy safe, but God, make Daddy brave. And if he has hard things to do, make him strong to do them. Son, life and death don't matter but right and wrong do. Daddy dead is daddy still, but daddy dishonored before God is something too awful for words. I suppose you would like to put in a bit about safety too, and mother would like that, I'm sure. Well, put it in afterwards, for it really doesn't matter nearly as much as, what, as doing what is right. That chaplain had a willingness to pay the, the price for faithfulness. And these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they were having to pay a huge price for their faithfulness to God. 
But the key issue here is they were willing to pay the price. The pressure put on these three was pretty intense, wasn't it? Bow down or you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And the furnace, I suppose, was there. Right? For us, sometimes there's pressures to bow, isn't it? Bow to other gods. Yield to lesser authorities. It can be immense at times. How are you doing with that? Maybe it's at work. Temptation to look the other way or not write down what needs to be written down, not report what needs to be reported. Is the price of integrity too high for us? Look at verse 19 through 25. We see deliverance will come. So they refuse to bow. The furnace is heated up seven times hotter. King Nebuchadnezzar really doesn't know what he's doing, right? Some of his strongest men are eventually burned up as they try to take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw them into the furnace. And I don't really know. Does it matter if it's 1,200 degrees or you know, 2,600 degrees? 2,600 degrees, that's blue flame temperature, right? I don't know. If you're burned up, you're burned up, right? I don't understand that. Get it hotter, but he did. He stoked the fire. As they're thrown in, he had a view somehow of this furnace, and he saw not just three walking amidst the flames, but an additional one. An additional one. And your small group leader, they'll explain exactly who that is and, um, for you. I'm not real sure. Nebuchadnezzar said it was an angel. Some say it's the pre-incarnate Christ. I don't think we can know for sure. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were delivered from the fire because they trusted the Lord. They could have suffered the natural effects of the fire, right, and been incinerated, much like the soldiers were that threw them in. But God delivered them. I was thinking about that and thinking about Matthew 13 this week Jesus in the middle of he's explaining the parable of the weeds verse 37-43 he answered the one who sows the good seed is the son of man let me, let me just read let me just read this for you from my notes just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire so it will be at the end of the age <clears throat> The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. See, there's a fire that's to come. The fires of hell. Jude 22 and 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Think about that deliverance, what took place. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, were, they came out of the fire. They, they, didn't, they weren't burned. Their clothes, their hair wasn't singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. And God was made to look glorious, wasn't he?
And we're thankful, aren't we, for those of us who are believers. Chris taught last week. I appreciate your teaching, brother, about sharing your story and being winsome and how you go about sharing your story in order to share the gospel and point people to Jesus. For those of us who have a testimony in this room, we've been, we've been delivered from the fire of hell, hadn't we? And that's what we deserve, isn't it? And we say all the time, everything above hell is a privilege. There's no good people. We're all deserving of God's condemnation and wrath. We deserve hell for eternity. But we were delivered. We were delivered. And how God delivered us was pretty amazing. He became a man. He entered this world and took on flesh and he obeyed the law completely, perfectly in our place. And then he died a death in our place. He was buried and he rose from the grave in our place so that we could be made right with the holy, righteous God. Pressures are many, and, but deliverance, we know deliverance will come. Maybe we're not rescued from our difficulties, but we'll know one day we'll be delivered. We'll spend eternity with the Lord because of what Christ has done for us. Verse 26 through 30, it gets us to the main point of the text. and This has been the main point every week and will be every week. Over and over again, we see the there's no one like God. There's no kingdom like his kingdom. Think about King Nebuchadnezzar. He tried to kill these men. And notice he didn't apologize. But they all noticed God's power at work. King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that there's no God like the Hebrew God. And so he passed a law, an edict, that no one could badmouth Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their God. You can't badmouth their God. He's powerful. Now, he didn't say that they should worship him, but he makes sure that no one speaks ill of the, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's interesting, verse 28, they set aside the king's command because they had a, a higher authority they had to obey. They're men of conviction. In verse 29, notice King Nebuchadnezzar's own words. There is no other God who can rescue in this way. By delivering Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God proved who had the power, who had the authority. Nebuchadnezzar thought he had authority, right? He wrecks this big, big image, all gold. Not just the head, it's all gold, right? He orders everybody to bow down. They don't. He throws them in the furnace. I'm going to kill them, and he couldn't. God has shown himself to be more powerful, shown himself to be sovereign. What do we do with this text? How do we apply it? I, I think, firstly, we remember there's no other God who can rescue in this way. God rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he's rescued us, so let's be thankful, recognizing it. We're people who need to be rescued. We're all sinners. If you're not rescued by the mercies of God, you're condemned. When you breathe your last, you'll 
The Bible doesn't teach annihilationism. You don't just cease to exist. No, there's a, an eternity waiting for every person, for those who've been redeemed, who've been forgiven, who've placed their faith and trust in Christ. You'll spend forever, eternity with God because of Christ. For those who yet to be reconciled to a holy God, who's yet to be forgiven, they'll spend eternity in hell. But I think we need to be thankful for God rescuing us, Amen. delivering us for the wrath to come. The second thing, I think King Nebuchadnezzar, he did acknowledge that God rescued him. He acknowledged the power. He acknowledged God's involvement in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was impressed. But I don't see him being repentant. And so I just want to ask us, could it be that some of us have the same mindset? I remember being lost. I, I was brought up in church, and, and I knew a lot of things about the Bible and understood right and wrong, heaven and hell. And I remember as a, a teenager, my, my friends, they would be using foul language, and there's just certain things that I wouldn't let them say. You know? Like, man, I'm Christian. I don't want you saying that around me. Well, I wasn't a Christian, right? I probably said a lot of those things, but there's certain things I wouldn't say. Like, oh, you don't say that. You don't take the Lord's name in vain like that. But I think maybe at that time I was kind of like Nebuchadnezzar. I was real impressed with God, you know, but I wasn't yielded to Him. And so just by way of application, I want to ask you, are you living your life impressed by God, thinking, man, God is really good, He's all-powerful, I know He sent Jesus to die for sinners, but you've yet to yield to Him. Like Nebuchadnezzar, up to this point, he's yet to yield to the Lord. And I think we'll see him yielding to the Lord, but at this point, in chapter 3, he's not. He's still living his life. Although he's impressed, he's in awe at times of the Lord and what he's done for Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But yet he's still kind of living his life like that. He's not living his life like this, right, in surrender. So is that you? That we all know all the stories, and I believe, but I'm not living my life surrendered. I'm not trusting in Christ alone for my salvation. Well, you, you need to repent. And you need to trust Christ and His work on the cross as your own. I would love to talk to you about that. If you've got confusion or if you're questioning, what, do I know the Lord? Have I repented? Am I like Nebuchadnezzar? Just kind of live my life like this? I'm impressed with God. I think well of Him, but I'm not yielded to Him. How many people in our churches are impressed with God? Maybe even a little thankful but yet we're not yielded. Yeah, don't let that be you. You need to repent today if that's the case. And I think thirdly and lastly, and we'll close, you know, when asked to violate the word, violate their, the Lord's commands, number one and number two, right? They had already made up their minds. They're going to obey the Lord and need to be resolute, need to be determined to obey the Lord. If you're redeemed, if you're born again, you need to be resolute in your mind, determined to obey Him this week. I, Jenny shared this, this this week, Psalm 43, 1 through 3. I think it's a great text for us to end on. God is our refuge and strength. I apologize, Amy. I think I gave you... 
I checked these this morning, but I've several times I've made a mistake with the, and I think you you told me that it was. What'd you say last night? I was asking about that. She said it was forty three when we, yeah, forty six. I'm sorry. Y'all are doing great. Anytime there's a problem, it's always my fault. I'm not I'm not kidding. It's like it is. It's my fault. Uh, Psalm forty three. Yeah, it's Psalm forty six one through three. All right, Psalm forty six one through three. Y'all just listen and and and, and we'll be all right. Yeah, I do. I, I know it's only time anybody looks back there when something goes wrong. And even when something goes wrong, most of the time it's not their fault. In fact, we're at these churches. We've been to so many churches and they've got just these huge churches and it doesn't matter. There's always issues going on. Um, but I appreciate y'all so much. Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Think about that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in trouble, weren't they? But God came and was their helper. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's, a, there's something about being a believer, Lydia, that once you surrender to Christ and you're yielded to Him, and even though life is difficult and we struggle with sin and rebellion and yielding to the Lord, but there is a, a, a sweet comfort and peace knowing that, man, our God is with us and Though the pressures come, He's going to deliver us. Maybe He won't deliver us out of our problem. Maybe He won't deliver us out of our situation. Maybe He won't save our job or help us with that relationship. Or maybe there's, there's things that don't just in our life, finances just don't get better. Sometimes He delivers us from those things. Sometimes He doesn't. Sometimes we have a, a, a sin problem that we just, we're praying and praying and we just keep struggling. We just can't seem to, to obey the Lord in. Sometimes He takes those things away. Doesn't he? You remember that? There's, there's things that you, throughout your life as a Christian you've been praying and the Lord's just taking things away from you. But there's some things he just doesn't take away. He doesn't deliver you from them for some reason. And you just struggle and struggle and struggle. We don't understand God's ways. But ultimately we're going to be delivered. One day we're going to be like the Lord. And there's, Mary Jane, there's not going to be any suffering. There's not going to be any sadness. There's not going to be any sin. There's not going to be any pride. There's not going to be any flesh. We're going to be delivered. And that's something that's what we have to look forward to. So let's end with a word of prayer and be thankful for that. I do want to mention a couple of things as we pray and dismiss. If you've got any question about any of these things, maybe you're here and you're visiting, you're trying to find a church. I want to encourage you, find a church. Find a church home. Everybody needs a church family. And we're not a perfect group of folks. We're a bunch of needy people. And we come here today not because we got it together. We come here today because we don't. We need each other, right? And we struggle in life, but we struggle together. And um, I want to encourage you, if you've got a question about our church, to let me know. We've got a lot of people here that can answer questions about church. If you're not sure, you're like Nebuchadnezzar and you're, you're impressed with God, but you're not yielded to Him, I want to encourage you to grab somebody and say, hey, I want to know how I, want to know how I can know the Father. I want to know how I can be reconciled and have my sin debt removed. I'd love to talk to you about that and many more here would as well. But this week we have an opportunity to obey the Lord and be resolute and say, I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to love people. I'm going to give grace. I'm going to... Please them in every way. Let's, let's be determined this week to do that as a church family. And a couple of things we need to pray for. Mr. Clyde came home, and um, he's just, you know, as uh, a man, his condition, his age, and you lay in a hospital bed for three or four days, you just get weak, you know. And so he, he needs to be strengthened physically and pray for Miss Fran, and she cares for him. Saw him yesterday. Miss... Donna Kennedy is having surgery, hip surgery Tuesday. Adam Hazerig is having 
a surgery Thursday morning, 8 o'clock. So we need to be prayerful. We'll be sending out reminders for these. Um, we have the wildlife server coming up. Be thinking about who you would like to invite, somebody maybe that's not church, somebody that doesn't know the Lord. We're going to have a sweet time of just being together and, and serving together uh, alongside each other. We'll encourage you to be a part of that. But I know that um, Caitlin Durham is at the hospital now, and um, today looks like going to be the day. Um, we're prayerful. We're going to pray right now for her and for these others. As she's there. We'll give you updates as we as we find out. What's the latest, Jamie? Anything? Yep, it's the day. It's coming. So let's pray for her real quick, and then we'll keep you updated. Excited, thankful, and we'll be prayerful as well. But um, small groups tonight. If, you, if you're not involved in a small group, you'd like to know about those, ask us. We have some on Sunday morning. We have some on Sunday night. Uh, I'd love to tell you about that, but let's be prayerful and we'll be dismissed. Father, we acknowledge your goodness. Thankful for your word. Thankful for Daniel. Um, thankful for these written down incidences where you showed up in a mighty way and delivered these men from sure death. And Father, we are so thankful how you are teaching us that you are you are sovereign you are the king of kings the lord of lords your kingdom is like no other and father for all of us here who are a part of your kingdom who are redeemed we are so thankful for the work you've done in our lives we give you the praise and the honor and the glory we're so thankful we recognize everything above hell is a privilege for us and Father, we have some needs. We want to be. We want to ask that you would help us as a church to be resolute, to be determined to obey you, and Lord, that you would be our ultimate authority, and we would act like that this week in the way we speak, and the way we love, and the way we give, and the way we serve, and the way we work, the way we respond to one another, the way we discipline our kids, the way we study. Father, we're thankful for these sweet folks that you've brought to our church, and we get the privilege of being a part of their lives and we're thankful for Mr. Clyde we ask for you to strengthen him and Miss Fran as she cares for him we ask for Miss Donna as she has surgery on Tuesday give those doctors a lot of grace and we pray that goes well ask that she not be anxious but be drawing near to you for comfort and peace and for Adam a long time coming for him and this surgery and ask for help for those doctors as well give them grace and for Adam that you would draw him near to you Help him not to be anxious, Father. Increase his faith. Father, for Caitlin, as she is at the hospital, and pray for her and Josh. Just give them a lot of grace and help those doctors and nurses. And we just pray for smooth delivery today. And welcome this new baby into this world. And we pray for that baby, even right now, that that baby would come to know you at a young age so that little boy could serve you all his days and give you a lot of glory. Father, for Miss Mary, we ask for help for her as she going through treatment still. Thank for the progress that's been made and ask for more in her life. Thank you for all you do. We, we, we look forward to the Wildlife Supper, and we ask you to bless it and that you would use it, that people would hear the gospel, and, Lord, that our fellowship would be real sweet, that you would use it to help our church and build up your kingdom. We're thankful for the ones that serve this 
today, the small group leaders, the, the ones that's kept nursery, the ones who got here early to get ready to sing and lead us in worship, the ones who are doing sound, the ones who are teaching children in church, so many people were working to, to help us do church. Bless us and give us a lot of grace this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.